Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. The FBI search of Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate sends shockwaves through Florida politics. DeSantis rallies to Trump's defense despite a budding rivalry, and Democrats slam the governor as a wannabe dictator after he removes a Democratic state attorney from office. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson, and those are some of the stories I'll be discussing this week with Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy and Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Fins. But first... That music means it's time for some numbers. Uh, Antonio, have you figured out how many times Trump uh, wrote the word witch hunt uh, in the statement this week? I have, but that's not my number. I'm going with a different (laughs) number. It's 230. And yes, I have to get that's my job. (laughs) Uh, John, how about you? Zach, I do have a number and uh, it's 27. All right. Well, I'm way ahead of you guys this week. My number is 125 million. Remember those numbers, folks. We'll let you know what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, FBI agents executed a search warrant Monday on the home of a former president for the first time in American history. And of course, it had to happen here in Florida, Palm Beach, to be exact, where Antonio has been working overtime covering the latest developments. Antonio, pretty shocking event. And there's a lot of potential political fallout. But one thing I know you've been looking at is how this actually could provide kind of a a short term political boost for Trump. I mean, Florida Republicans are really rallying around Trump. And that's, you know, nationally as well. Uh, You're you're hearing people argue that he should speed up his uh, expected presidential uh, announcement. Uh, what, What have you found? Well, first of all, I'll tell you, we've been working overtime here since June of 2015 when Mr. Trump came down that staircase. I know, I know you have, man. You, got, you guys have been killing it on the Mar-a-Lago beat. Hey, listen, yeah, look, you're right. Uh, you know, we are hearing just that. Uh, Florida's GOP establishment went totally DEFCON 5 on the rhetoric with, Gon, with Governor Ron DeSantis referring to the search of the former president's Mar-a-Lago property as a banana republic action. And then U.S. Senator Rick Scott referred it to it as a Gestapo-like action. And U.S. Senator Marco Rubio likened it to repression in Latin yeah. American countries. And the Gestapo thing was interesting. You know, he got pushback from Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the, uh, the Democratic congresswoman from South Florida who is Jewish, That to say that. I mean, that's uh, pretty strong words, right? It, it is. And I, I, he got a lot of pushback on that and got kind of a little bit roasted on social media. But you know what? The base is there. And, and he got retweeted a lot and you know his, his, he was all over the news so you know remember he's in a, an important spot because he's raising the money for sure. the, the, the republican senatorial campaign to take back the senate so he's you know he, anything he says is going to be uh it's going to get a lot of attention but look all of this over-the-top rhetoric omits some recent history namely that we went anti-democratic on january 6 2021 and that's not just me saying that that was you know former vice president mike pence said he thought it was an american and, and given that the Trump crowd, you know, storming the Capitol wanted to hang him, it's not a surprise he would think it un-American. But look, the January 6th attack on the Capitol and coup attempt to overturn the 2020 election wasn't just banana republic. It, it was mango republic, even guayaba republic. Um, it was a whole fruit cocktail republic. But nonetheless, <laughs> you know, there, there, was, there was more more produce there than in the Sedano supermarkets in the 305. But look, the search of Mr. Trump's property – it is historically unprecedented look, and it is a really extremely serious action. And, and Florida Republicans have concluded that it is a sign of the sign of the end of the democratic traditions in America. You know, never mind that it was a legally executed search warrant that was signed off by a federal magistrate here in West Palm Beach. Nonetheless, 
you know, like you mentioned earlier, the search has completely upended the political dynamic. Uh, you know, the conventional wisdom had been that a Trump presidential campaign announcement should wait until after the November midterm elections. The reason being that a Trump candidacy would distract from the economy, for example, and make the midterms about Trump. Now we're hearing calls by Florida Republicans for Trump to enter the race right now, precisely so that what voters will be deciding on will be the fate of Mr. Trump's civil liberty. I was texting with uh, uh, Roger Stone, you know, he and, and, you know, obviously he's, a, you know, a Trump loyalist. Uh, he was pardoned by Trump who, be, because, uh, uh, you know, after uh, he was convicted of lying to the FBI. But, you know, he was saying, oh, he, I, I think this is going to move it up and that he's going to uh, announce sooner. Um, uh, Anthony Sabatini, another really MAGA Republican, uh, said, I think he should announce as soon as possible. I mean, this seems to have really... Um, gotten his base pretty riled up. Yeah. And in all seriousness, you know, the search of Mar-a-Lago has ex- done just that. It has galvanized Republicans and has definitely given them a rallying cry. I was going to ask you, because it, aren't, aren't some of the dynamics the same, though, in this regard? Trump is going to lose if he ran for president again in 2024. That seems to be a, you know, a, a strong belief. It doesn't seem like anything over the last, uh, you know, year and a half, two years has really moved nonpartisan voters, uh, Democratic voters over to think that Trump is a victim of this and that Trump deserves a second term. That still seems to be a problem for Republicans. I I think this is more interesting in the primary. Like, I think Democrats would be uh, happy to run against Trump or, I mean, you know, obviously they Democrats probably view him as a major threat to the country, but they also view him as more politically damaged and and uh, a weaker candidate than uh, and that's probably the reason uh, Republicans view view that as well and that's one of the reasons that um, somebody like Ron DeSantis uh, and others have gotten a look I mean one of the reasons that uh, Pence and others have, have considered running against Trump is that um, you know he he obviously has a ton of baggage but in the primary, this seems to be really helping him. I mean, there was a a sense, and and I think it was maybe overblown that maybe uh, Republicans were moving away from him a little bit, but you did see it in in the the polling for DeSantis. Um, But in the primary, uh, you know, it seemed like maybe Trump was losing some ground a little bit and that he might be vulnerable, uh, you know, in a GOP primary. This seems to make him a little bit less vulnerable when you have that sympathy factor with the Republican base and everybody's sort of rallying around him, doesn't it? You know, 2024 is still two years off and a lot of can happen between now and then. But you guys are right. And in fact, we did see in other states, uh, Democrats actually moving over to the Republican side to support some of these more far right candidates, thinking that if the far right candidate were the Republican nominee in the November election, that the Democratic candidate would have a much better chance of winning. So that has been kind of the calculation across the board, but it is still way early. And then I'll throw out this one other cautionary note here. Uh, Palm Beach Post reporter Jane Musgrave reported this week that Trump should have a copy of that search warrant, and he likely knows why the agents were there, what they were looking for, and where they were looking for it. Yeah, and that's the big wild card. We haven't seen any of that at this point. And he's already saying that the FBI is planting evidence. So it it sounds like he thinks that maybe there's some stuff, some bad stuff that's going to come out. Yeah, which exactly that raises the intriguing question. If this is a witch hunt and we yes, we have counted a number of times uh, another or another investigative hoax, as Trump has claimed. Why didn't he just make the alleged flimsy search permit public from the start? 
Why hasn't he been waving it around? Look, it's a good question. And gentlemen, I bet we are far from hearing the end of this. Yeah, no doubt. Well, DeSantis is among those rallying around Trump, which is notable because there's been a lot of talk over the last few months about a growing rivalry between Trump and Florida's governor amid talk that DeSantis could be a future presidential contender and possibly even challenge Trump in the 2024 GOP uh, primary. But DeSantis was out quickly with a statement denouncing the FBI search and saying it smacked of the type of thing, as Antonio said, that happens in, quote, a banana republic. That DeSantis rushed to Trump's defense. What do you think that says about how the GOP base views Trump and the developments at Mar-a-Lago, Antonio? Really, that even uh, Trump's greatest potential GOP rival felt compelled to very, very loudly and forcefully defend him and continue to defend him. We saw, um, you know, a, a fundraising email that DeSantis put out that was all focused on the Mar-a-Lago raid. Uh, you know, it was another. 10 paragraphs uh, denouncing it. Um, it. It's interesting, though. He's not really saying uh, Trump's name at all. He hasn't he hasn't actually referenced uh, the former president, but he is referencing, um, you know, this incident uh, and, and really pushing back against it pretty aggressively. That's a great point. You know, the governor definitely rallied around his political mentor. No question about that. But I I would also point out that there is a political game there for him. First, the fact of the matter is that DeSantis has had the Biden administration in his sights for some time. Remember when he broke with the Biden White House on COVID policies, saying he would not allow hashtag free state of Florida to become a biomedical security state? This year, he's been harshly critical of the administration's fiscal policies, you know, saying that they led to Biden inflation. And of course, in the wake of the search, the governor has, the governor has begun referring to the Biden government as the regime with a capital R, which is only a step below a junta led by a maximal leader. So there is a political, there is political pay dirt here for the governor because this is a theme, overbearing and persecuting government that plays really well with the base. And he has very skillfully exploited that theme. Plus, just about every Republican, even Senate Minority Leader Mitch Broken Old Crow McConnell lent support to his nemesis, that would be the former president. So had DeSantis not said something, it would have been politically risky. Yeah. It really, really stood out. I mean, he had really no choice if he's, uh, you know, in, involved in Republican politics, right? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, now, now I guess someone could say, well, DeSantis could have been more measured, but in the present-day GOP, you say measured Republican, the Trump base says rhino. Exactly. You know, if he didn't go uh, hard here, uh, I think that, uh, you know, some of his, there could be uh, quite a few detractors or people certainly would have noticed on the right. That's for sure. The development at Mar-a-Lago largely eclipsed another blockbuster Florida political story that happened last week. The removal from office of Hillsborough County State Attorney Andrew Warren, a Democrat, by DeSantis. The governor said Warren neglected his duty by failing to enforce the law, but critics said DeSantis was abusing his power to remove a local official from office over a partisan political disagreement. Some of the same criticism that DeSantis is now lobbying against the Biden administration that, um, you know, that this is, uh, you know, basically authoritarian stuff that's happening is was was really hammered uh, on DeSantis, John, last week. I mean, uh, Chris and Freed were calling him a wannabe dictator. Uh, it seems like, um, you know, kind of he has uh, borrowed a, a page from his critics and uh, how he's gone after Biden. Uh, John, one thing that definitely shows is that DeSantis continues to be aggressive in using his executive powers, right? Aggressive, you could say that. You, you <laughs> could also call it unconstitutional uh, and illegal overreach of his executive power because 
That's what Democrats and governance experts are calling it. Uh, Andrew Warren, remember, was uh, twice elected by the voters of Hillsborough County. And uh, yep, he's a Democrat. But last year, he signed a letter saying that he would not enforce any law enforcing a prohibition on transgender medical care. Uh, th th there is no such law, but it's purely hypothetical. And uh, earlier this year, he was among 84 prosecutors around the nation who signed a petition supporting abortion rights and saying that he would not pursue any criminal sanctions that could arise from Florida's new abortion law, which reduces to 15 weeks of pregnancy, the time that a woman can uh, obtain an abortion. Uh, but the, the, the notable thing is there have been no legal cases stemming from this new law uh, or from the transgender fight. Um, the, the Florida abortion law just took effect uh, July 1st, and it remains on the books even after a court rule ruled that it likely violates the state's constitution uh, and its right to privacy. So DeSantis has basically suspended Warren from office for his thoughts. Uh, he's uh, punished an elected official for what he said, not did. Uh, now, now, prosecutors like Warren are authorized to have selective enforcement powers. They, they don't have to pursue every criminal case that's brought before them for a variety of reasons. But in this case, uh, DeSantis targeted Warren for what the governor called uh, his, his woke agenda. He, he said Warren was putting himself above the law. Of course, now we, we have no, uh, no facts that Warren has indeed put himself above the law other than <clears throat> He has made uh, a couple of statements, basically. Uh, it, it's what he has indicated he might do. Now, a Florida governor has a, a very uh, sweeping suspension power. So uh, I guess uh, DeSantis has not specifically put himself above the law. Yeah. John, in the Constitution, it says that he can remove lawmakers for uh, local lawmakers for a variety of reasons, including neglect of duty. And that's what he's accusing uh, Andrew Warren of. But in the past, governors have been pretty, you know, uh, you know, for the most part, uh, judicious about this, and they've only removed officials who are involved in usually major scandals, people who were arrested, things like that. Although DeSantis did remove two other um, local lawmakers, one in uh, Broward and one in Palm Beach County, over you know they weren't accused of breaking the law, but they they were um, wrapped up in uh, some controversial things uh, in their area. What do you think? I mean, in terms of I, I know that you've seen this over the years where local officials have been removed from office by governors. This one really stands out. Oh, it does. Yeah, because indeed, uh, governors, as you point out, they, they are judicious typically in what they do. Uh, most vividly, five years ago, uh, Governor Rick Scott, then uh, the Republican governor of Florida, he uh, reassigned uh, uh, potential death penalty cases away from the Orange County State Attorney, Aramis Ayala, who is now running for uh, attorney general uh, in, in this month's uh, Democratic primary, because she had made a, a statement similarly where she was not going to be pursuing the death penalty. So uh, it, it was a big deal when DeSantis, or, I'm sorry, when Scott sort of stepped in and uh, took over some of these uh, death cases. But he, he didn't uh, remove Ayala. Uh, she, he, he basically uh, took some of the cases away from her jurisdiction and assigned them to a, another prosecutor. So there's that way of getting around such things. But those involved actual cases as well, something that's absent in this Warren story. Um, you know, it, it, it really is. Uh, he, DeSantis is acting in a way that in a democracy, 
could be considered very scary. And if you care about the First Amendment, he's removing an official for what he said. Um, also, remember, didn't, didn't Republicans once usually argue that the government closest to the people is best? Well, DeSantis has removed a duly elected county official and replaced him with his own hand-picked successor, whose first act was to seek the death penalty in a murder case where Warren had agreed not to based on the wishes of the victim's family. The, the family in this case was not contacted by the new state attorney about her reversal of Warren. Uh, part of the backdrop of removing Warren also had been that a handful of local law enforcement officials were complaining about him being soft on crime, uh, which seemed to be all part of DeSantis's kind of pylon when it came to uh, his reasons for removing Warren. So Warren's future is going to be decided by the Florida Senate eventually. The Senate will decide whether that suspension should be turned into an ouster or whether he should be reinstated. Uh, as you pointed out a moment ago, Zach, in, in 2019, a similar scenario played out where DeSantis suspended Broward County Sheriff Scott Israel for his department's failures during the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School school shooting that, that had occurred a year earlier. And DeSantis on the campaign trail had promised that he was going to fire Israel. But when the Senate had the suspension go before a special master, uh, a legal officer who reviews the case, that special master, who happened to be a former uh, Republican uh, lawmaker, he recommended reinstating Israel, saying that the state had not proven its case. But that didn't matter in the end. The Republican-led Senate affirmed the governor. Remember, this legislature is completely in lockstep with DeSantis. They removed Israel and... Uh, they made nice with DeSantis. Um, and, and that bond between the legislature and DeSantis has only gotten stronger in the, the three years since that this incident occurred with Scott Israel. So this is the state we're in. The, the, the Warren case got a brief afterlife last week when, you know, after that FBI search of Trump's Mar-a-Lago, DeSantis went ballistic about the gov federal government's overreach in that case. And that prompted not just a few Democrats to say, hey, what about you reaching down and ousting Warren? But uh, for those of us who've watched the trajectory of Ron DeSantis, uh, you know, such ironies, uh, inconsistencies, and uh, you know, outright hypocrisies are no surprise. And uh, maybe as a postscript to these past two weeks of DeSantis's twists and turns, remember that the governor who likes to criticize career politicians and elites, well, he was in Nantucket off Cape Cod this week for a fundraiser for his campaigns, both uh, current and future. And uh, dinner tickets to that uh, event at, uh, on Nantucket, $50,000 each. John, what do you think about the politics um, around this? It, this seems like uh, something that DeSantis has um, really sort of a formula for these days. You know, as soon as he suspended Warren, I mean, he called a big press conference, a lot of pomp and circumstance with these um, sheriffs behind him, as you mentioned, local law enforcement officers who were complaining about him being soft on crime. He had also had Attorney General Ashley Moody there to complain about Warren. It was kind of a, a real show of force. And then he goes on Fox News, Tucker Carlson, who's been railing against 
quote, Soros-funded liberal prosecutors who aren't, um, you know, prosecuting certain laws uh, and and uh, really got a lot of uh, national exposure from that. Pretty similar to some of the stuff that he did with Disney when he went after Disney for opposing him uh, on the, the so-called don't say gay bill. He, he seems to think that this plays pretty well for him politically. Oh, yeah, this is all part, you know, he, he's you know, christened himself the anti-woke uh, agenda attacker. And uh, that, that plays well with Fox News, Tucker Carlson, uh, conservative Republicans across the nation. Uh, so DeSantis is uh, really trying to uh, seize that moment. And of course, you know, it gives him a bigger soapbox that he can uh, campaign on across the nation. That's something that uh, seems to be paramount right now for uh, DeSantis. I mean, here, DeSantis is going to be campaigning in other states for uh for U.S. Senate candidates uh, this month. And uh, you would think, well, you know, he has a general election uh, that he has uh, his own re-election campaign coming up. But that doesn't seem to be that much of a uh, concern to him at the moment. DeSantis is uh, really focused on, you know, keeping that national image alive. And, uh, you know, it's a complicated one right now when it comes to uh, how he navigates with Trump, as we spoke about earlier. He somehow still has to uh, kind of suck up to Trump and uh, stay on his good side. Yet at the same time, DeSantis is still trying to present himself as a provocative uh, provocateur out there who can uh, do things that uh, Republican voters like and uh, will remember when it comes to the 2024 uh presidential nomination. Yeah, it's interesting that he's going to be campaigning in Arizona, Ohio, and Pennsylvania when his own re-election is uh, just two and a half months away. He seems to think that, uh, um, you know, that appealing to those um, national uh, Republican uh, voters is uh, important. Interesting that he was also asked to campaign out there. Um, You know, it shows how big of a profile that he's developed. Well, we'll move on to some numbers here. Antonio, you want to tell us about yours? Yeah, I have 230, as in 230 seconds, and that's the length of a polished campaign-looking and sounding ad that former President Trump dropped this week on his social app. Now, our listeners have probably not heard about this ad, largely because Trump released it just after midnight Tuesday, which was just hours after he revealed the FBI search of his Mar-a-Lago estate. So, there's a lot to unpack here, so let me get to it. Uh, first, the ad is extremely effective and cinematic. Uh, critics will say the ad is Orwellian, and it has that feel, but it will stir his Trump's base and sway his voters. At the same time, the ad is issues-based. It talks about energy prices, the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, the Ukraine war. But you know what? Here's an issue that kind of, this is something that was a, 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 a commonplace during the Trump presidency where you had all these issues, and yet Trump somehow managed to always be talking about something else. And that's what happened this week. He issues this big ad that talks about issues that is that could be very, uh, could sway a lot of voters that maybe are on the fence, but then he spends the entire week talking about the search in Mar-a-Lago and, and, his, and then he took the fifth before the New York authorities, you know, which speaks to that malady that Trump's inability to focus on issues and instead constantly divert attention to his grievances, particularly in the week where his house was searched. Now, it also suggests something that goes against the political punditry of the moment, specifically that Trump would not be able to hire top notch campaign personnel for a subsequent uh, presidential run. Critics say that it point out, for example, that his former campaign manager, Bill Stepien, testified before the January 6th committee. The committee also unearthed text from another former top campaign hand, Brad Parscale, 
of Fort Lauderdale, in which Pascali purportedly stated regret for having helped Trump. So the question was, you know, if Trump were to launch another campaign in light of the January 6th committee hearings, everything that's come out, would he even be able to bring on top-notch campaign staff? The, this ad suggests otherwise. It suggests that he is building a formidable campaign messaging team. Now, as for whether it will ultimately sway non-MAGA types, well, we'll let listeners decide. Yeah, and it should be noted that uh, Trump's top political advisor right now is none other than Susie Wiles, who was uh, his Florida uh, campaign uh, point person uh, in 2016 and also worked for DeSantis and Rick Scott um, and then was kind of uh, had a, a notable parting of the ways with DeSantis and who also leaned on Trump to kind of part ways with her. And um, and now he's brought her back into the fold. And she's known as a pretty uh, steady, even handed professional who um, has has won a lot of races in Florida. So it'll be interesting to see what she does with Trump's campaign um, if he does run uh, and she remains in uh, her position as, as his top advisors. How about you, John? Uh, you want to tell us about your number? Yeah, Zach, uh, I had a 27 and that's as in 20. 27%, which was the turnout in the 2018 primary when we last had a uh, governor's race on the August uh, primary ballot. We'll uh, not be doing another inside Florida politics until after the August 23rd primary. So this may be our last chance to speak about how uh, Charlie Crist and Nikki Fried are trying to get their voters to the polls. Remember, uh, Republican Ron DeSantis is unchallenged within his own party, so he'll be kicking back on that August Tuesday when uh, he actually has a, a state cabinet meeting scheduled uh, that I guess he would be attending, presumably with Freed, the uh, state agriculture commissioner. Now, uh, the, the 27% in 2018 may be a little bit better than usual. There were uh, five major Democrats running for governor that year. Uh, Andrew Gillum won the primary and uh, even DeSantis, then mostly a, a little known, but Donald Trump endorsed Palm Coast Congressman. He faced a primary contest with uh, Adam Putnam, who was uh, Freed's predecessor as mm. agriculture commissioner. Um, so there were a lot of candidates and a lot of money had been spent on TV ads and, uh, you know, and the campaign in general. The, the, so uh, there, there was a lot of focus of, uh, of voters that time that yielded 27 percent turnout. Now, this time around, there are, of course, plenty of other races, but there are also no Republican primary contests for U.S. Senate, Attorney General, or Chief Financial Officer. So uh, that will take away some from the uh, statewide attention and the spending, which you know usually translates into added voter attention. So we'll see if the 27% turnout level can be matched again. Uh, you know, as a as a side note, 2020, uh, in advance of the presidential race uh, that year, <clears throat> the primary hit 28% turnout. That okay. was uh, you know maybe a sign of things to come when. 77% of Florida voters voted in that presidential uh, campaign. That was the most in the state since 1992. But, you know, basically these dog days of summer primaries usually hover in the uh, low 20s or or high teens in turnout. So no matter what Chris and Freed are doing and their best efforts at trying to get people, get their people to the polls, uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking that with the relative sparsity of statewide races this summer, we may fall back to those low, lower levels uh, this time. We may not hit our 27 again. So you're you're taking the under on that one. 
I, I think I'm taking the under on that one. I have a feeling that <laughs> I, I I agree with you, and it, it's really interesting because uh, all the uh, you know it's only on the Democratic side that you really see these high profile, higher profile primaries, and that that Democratic governor's race doesn't seem to have attracted a huge amount of attention. The one last time around, as you mentioned, had. I, th- I think it was five candidates, you said. I mean, there there was yeah. a lot of going back and forth. And then you had like a billionaire with Jeff Green who was spending a ton right. of money. You had Levine, who was also very wealthy, who was spending a ton of money to draw eyeballs to that race, a bunch of debates and things like that. This primary really hasn't been the same, has it? No, it doesn't seem like it. Now, one thing that's a little bit different this year is we have uh, school board races, which will be on the ballot on August 23rd across the state. And, uh, you know, we have the entry of Moms for Liberty and, uh, yeah. and and Ron DeSantis endorsing school board candidates. So something, oddly enough, you know, maybe a little bit more bottom up than top down uh, drive in some cases. I, I think you're right. Stuff. I think a lot of people are really going to be looking at those school board races. Honestly, other than the governor, uh, the Democratic primary for governor, those might be some of the most interesting races um, out there. And uh just locally i know some of the republicans are a little bit nervous you know they've been pushing some conservative candidates for the school board and and uh with democrats having a primary for the governor's race they're wondering uh if democratic turnout will be higher than gop turnout so that'll be an interesting thing to watch with the the primary turnout <clears throat> and that actually segues into a little bit about my number which is 125 million that's how much Governor DeSantis's political committee has in cash on hand at the end of July, which is a truly enormous amount of money to have uh, sitting in your bank account with uh, two and a half months to go before the general election. He started um, to spend that a little bit. Uh, he's He's got um, some uh, ads out. He's got one where he's reading letters from voters who were thanking him for his COVID policies, but he still has just a huge uh, pile of cash that uh, he's waiting uh, to spend. And he's actually using some of that money to help other candidates. DeSantis's political committee paid for mailers supporting school board candidates, as we were just talking about, in Sarasota County and in Lee County this month and, and possibly elsewhere. Those are the two that I'm aware of. And, and that's pretty unusual for a candidate for statewide office who's got his own race to run to spend some of his campaign money to help other candidates. Um, And I think it it says at least two things. One is that DeSantis seems comfortable that he has enough money uh, to win re-election or will be able to raise enough. And, uh, you know, we're seeing that as well with him, as we mentioned earlier, him campaigning out of the state. Um, You know, he seems comfortable uh, not spending time here. The other is that DeSantis is very interested in reshaping state politics, really at all levels, but especially when it comes to school leadership. He's been extremely focused on education issues and transforming the state's uh, education system. Now he's putting his money where his mouth is. That wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Cordy. Thanks to all of you for listening. We're out of here.